Good morning. It's so good to be together this morning. If you have your Bibles, let's go over to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 4, if you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to be studying in what Brad just read for us. Appreciate him reading that story in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. If you have your Bibles and you like to follow along, we're going to be studying in the fourth chapter of 1 Samuel and the first 11 verses of that chapter. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. 1 Samuel chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. This is not a new struggle. This is not a new conflict. This is not the first time, nor is it the last time in Scripture where the Israelites and the Philistines are going to fight against one another. The Philistines were perpetual enemies of the Israelites. In this chapter of the enmity that existed between the two nations, the Philistines once again want to dominate the Israelites. The Philistines once again want to overtake the land where the Israelites were dwelling. So the Bible says that the Philistines waged war on the Israelites. They rose up and waged war against them. The camps were about two miles apart. And the Philistines were the ones who took the initiative. The Bible says that they drew up in line against the Israelites. From that point, the battle started. The battle waged on. The battle continued until the text says it spread out in verse 2. The battle expanded. It filled the entire region where they were fighting. In the first couple verses of this story in 1 Samuel chapter 4, Israel's enemy, the Philistines, rose up against them and waged war against them. The question that I want you and the question that I want me to consider this morning is does that sound familiar? Is that something that looks familiar to you? Is it something that looks familiar to me? Because the reality is we all have battles that we're fighting. Whether they be physical, whether they be spiritual, or whether they be emotional, we all have enemies in our lives that have risen up against us. We all have battles that are constantly being waged, battles that we are constantly having to fight. I'm not talking about battles that take just a few minutes or a few hours and then they're over. I'm talking about battles that take up days and months and weeks and years of our lives. Battles that we encounter every day. When we wake up in the morning, we're fighting that particular battle. When we go to bed at night, we're fighting that particular battle. Maybe it's even something that keeps us up at night. I'm not talking about a battle here in our lives as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 4 that only takes up a small part of our existence. No, I'm talking about a battle like the one that's described in 1 Samuel chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. I'm talking about a battle that spreads out. A battle that expands. A battle that fills our entire lives. It fills every single area of our lives. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Have you been there before? I'm talking about a person who receives a very serious diagnosis from the doctor. 
And into the foreseeable future, that person is going to have to wage war against that particular disease, wage war against that particular illness. I'm talking about a person who constantly struggles with the stress, the worry, and the anxiety of life. And it just sits in their heart. It weighs them down. It's, it's continually a burden in their life. It robs them of joy and peace and happiness. I'm talking about a person who is constantly falling into the same temptation. A person who faces the same choice, the same temptation every day, and continually chooses the wrong path. I'm talking about a person who's constantly filled with shame and guilt. Because every day they come to the fork in the road and they choose to go in the wrong direction. Whenever we see Israel's enemies rise up against them in 1 Samuel chapter 4, it makes us think about the enemies that rise up against us. Whenever we see the battle raging with the Israelites, God's chosen people in the Old Testament time, it makes us reflect on and it makes us think about the battles that are raging in our lives. What is that battle for you? What is the enemy that's rising up against you? Oftentimes, we can't control our battles. We can't control how painful the battles are. We cannot control what the enemy does. But what we can control is how we respond to it. When our enemies rise up against us, and the battle rages around us, where do we oftentimes place our trust? I want to suggest to you, that oftentimes when enemies rise up and battles rage around us, we oftentimes place our trust in the very same places that the Israelites place their trust in in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 1-11. through And we shouldn't be surprised whenever we place our trust in the same places that they did. We shouldn't be surprised, we shouldn't be confused when we experience the same results. Or it might be more accurate to say, we shouldn't be surprised when we experience the very same consequences. When enemies rise up against us, and the battle rages on in our lives, oftentimes, we place our trust in ourselves. Isn't that what the Israelites did? In the first three verses of 1 Samuel chapter 4, battle was not a new idea to the Israelites. Israelite, the Israelites had an army that was very well seasoned. You look back in their history up to this point, they had been involved in a number of different wars. They had been involved in a number of different battles. And they had won battles that they wouldn't have won unless God was on their side. The Israelite army would have had plans in place. The Israelite army would have had structure in place. Every single soldier would have carried out the specific task that they were trained to carry out. So now when the Philistines attack, when the Philistines take the initiative and draw up in line against them, it's time for Israel to stand on their own two feet. It's time for them to show how strong they are. It's time for them to place their trust in their strength, in their plans, and in their preparation. I don't know how many in here have ever seen the show Parks and Recreation, but there's an episode in that show that used to air on NBC where Ron Swanson is walking through Lowe's pushing a buggy. And one of the Lowe's employees walks up to him and very politely says to him, Hi there, is there a project that you're working on? If you've seen this episode, you remember he stops his buggy just long enough to look at the Lowe's employee 
and say, I know more than you. And then he pushes his buggy and he walks off without saying another word. Of course, the Lowe's employee is completely thrown off guard by that, completely thrown into confusion. You can imagine the Israelites in 1 Samuel 4 doing the very same thing. They look at themselves. They look at the Israelite. They, they look at the Philistines, rather. And they say something like, this is going to be a piece of cake. We're stronger than you. We're more prepared than you. We're more skilled than you. Maybe we even have a bigger army than you. This is going to be a piece of cake. This is going to be a walk in the park. We're going to be able to take care of our enemy no problem. They're placing their trust in themselves. Well, what happens? Whenever the Philistines draw up in line against the Israelites, what's the result? Whenever the battle wages and the battle continues on and it fills the entire region where they are, what's the outcome? Look at 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse number 2. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and when the battle spread, what was the outcome? Israel was defeated before the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. Surprisingly, the Israelites were defeated. They placed their trust in themselves and they were defeated when the enemy rose up and the battle raged around them. So how did they respond to that defeat? Well, think about what they could have done. We've read a couple of times in 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 1 that there was a prophet in the nation of Israel named Samuel. Whenever he spoke, his word spread. We find in 1 Samuel 4 and verse 1 that when Samuel spoke, his word came to all Israel. Everybody in the nation heard it. The Israelites had the opportunity to make a trip to Samuel's house. They had an opportunity to explain the situation to Samuel, to explain what happened, and to seek a message from the Lord. And then receiving that message from the Lord from his mouthpiece, Samuel at that time, they had the opportunity to put their trust in that message, but that's not what they did. When you look at 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 3, the elders, the leaders of Israel come together, they talk about the war, they talk about what went wrong in that particular battle, and they come up with a solution. They come up with a plan to fix it. They're the leaders for a reason, right? They're so smart, they can figure this out completely on their own. They don't need to hear from God. They don't need to make a trip to Samuel. They can figure this out completely by themselves. They come up with this plan, and they put the plan in place. And what we're going to see in just a few minutes is that Israel is defeated for a second time. And the second defeat, down in verse 10, is far worse than the first in verse number 2. Israel's trust was placed in themselves. And as a result, it was not only misplaced, but it resulted in defeat two different times. We do the same thing sometimes, don't we? We see our enemies rise up against us. The battle starts to rage around us. And our first instinct is to place our trust in ourselves. Our own power. Our own strength. Our own smarts. What we can do. This is a picture of a man named Hiro Onoda. 
who was a lieutenant in the Japanese army in 1944 whenever World War II was going on. The man who was right above Hiro Onoda took him and three other men and placed them on a Philippine island and told them to wage war against this particular island and to not give up. Even if Japan surrenders, even if you hear that Japan surrenders, continue to fight, continue to wage this war on this particular island. Well, it wasn't long after 1944 that Japan did surrender. And along with Japan, the three soldiers who were with this man, Hiro Onoda, they either surrendered or they were killed. But Lieutenant Onoda didn't. For the next 29 years... Hiro Onoda waged World War II completely on his own. And in the next 29 years, he killed about 30 Philippine nationals fighting World War II completely by himself. It wasn't until 1974 that he eventually surrendered. They had to bring who was his general over to this Philippine island to convince him, okay, you can stop now. Would you be willing to do that? See, we look at a story like that and we think that... That's crazy, right? How did he think he could fight that war by himself? But not just fight the war, how did he think that he could win this war against all of these different nations completely on his own? We look at a man like him and we think that's crazy, I would never do that, but isn't that exactly what we do sometimes? Our enemies rise up against us, the battle starts to rage around us, and we place our trust in ourselves. We lower our shoulder and we see how hard we can push against it. We place our trust in our own ability, in our own preparation, in our own skills, our own strength, and our own power. And it might work for a little while. But eventually, we learn from this text and we learn by experience that if the battle is raging around me and I'm placing my trust in myself, I am going to be defeated. I know that you're a strong person. And I know that there are many people in here this morning who have been through some pretty difficult things, but if you're placing your trust in yourself in the midst of the battle that you're waging, you will be defeated. There's no other way to say it. There's no other way to put it. Trust that is placed in self is not only misplaced, but it's ultimately going to end up in complete defeat. So we place our trust in ourselves and we figure out very quickly that doesn't work. Where do we turn to next? Well, when our enemies rise up and the battle rages against us, we oftentimes, number two, place our trust in religion. Go back to the Israelites for just a minute. Go back to this story, this, this battle that is unfolding in the first 11 verses of 1 Samuel chapter 4. We left off in verse 3 where the elders of the Israelites were together and they were forming this plan. They were, they were forming this idea about how they were going to continue in this battle against the Philistines. They're having a brainstorming session. They're thinking about what went wrong in this particular battle that they lost. And they correctly realized that the Lord wasn't working for them. The Lord was working against them. The Lord did not give them victory. Instead, the Lord gave them defeat. And they're asking the question in verse number 3, why did this happen? Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? And it's almost like the light bulb turns on. They have this aha moment. Oh yeah! We know why we lost. 
We know why we were defeated. It was because we didn't have the Ark of the Covenant with us. We don't know, of course, what the Ark of the Covenant looked like, but I think that this is a a pretty good depiction of it. This maybe puts a picture in our minds of what we're talking about. The Ark of the Covenant was the sacred, holy, rectangle box that was plated in gold that sat behind the thick veil in the most holy place. There was only one person who could visit the Ark of the Covenant one time a year. Inside the Ark of the Covenant were three things. If you remember how Scripture presents it to us, Aaron's rod, manna from the wilderness, and the Ten Commandments. It was a symbol of God's presence, God's rule, God's sovereignty in the nation of Israel. It was the place where God met with His people. It was the place where God's presence dwelt during the Old Testament time. If you look in Israel's history, they had taken the Ark of the Covenant into battle before, and it always turned out well for them. For instance, if you go back to the book of Joshua, chapter 6, and you look at the fall of Jericho, what did they have with them? They had with them the Ark of the Covenant. Every time they took the Ark of the Covenant into battle, they were victorious. And so you can picture this scene as the leaders are sitting around and they're having this brainstorming session about what went wrong. Why were we defeated? Why has the Lord defeated us this day? Oh yeah, it was because we didn't have the Ark of the Covenant. So here's what we're going to do. Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh. Watch the emphasis in verse number 3. Where are they placing their trust? Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant here so that it might come among us, and so that it might save us from the power of our enemies. They're fighting this battle against their enemy. They start by placing their trust in themselves. They very quickly find out that that's not going to work in this battle against their enemy. And so they decide, let's bring out the Ark of the Covenant. That's what we're missing. Let's bring out our most holy and religious object to the battlefield so that it might save us. Where were the Israelites placing their trust in that statement? They were placing their trust in religion. This religious object that they're going to bring from Shiloh to the place where they were fighting against the Philistines. See, in this text, the Israelites were not interested in relationship with God. They only wanted to control God. The Israelites were not interested in submitting to God. They only wanted to use God. The Israelites were not surrendering themselves to God. They weren't interested in developing and deepening a relationship with God. They weren't falling in love with God. They just wanted God to give them what they want. Oh, we'll bring the Ark of the Covenant here so that God will give us victory. So that God will help us then. They're using religion to try to manipulate God. And they're seeking Him not because they view Him as worthy, but because they view Him as useful, now that the Ark of the Covenant is here, God has to help us. He's not going to let us be defeated if this holy and religious object is in our midst. They're placing their trust in religion. And to make things worse, who are the two individuals who carry the Ark of the Covenant to the battlefield? It was two priests named Hophni and Phinehas, which if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 2, they were sons of the high priest Eli, And even though they were priests, they were very sinful. 
They were the priests who were committing sexual morality with various women outside the door of the tabernacle. They were the ones who were continually treating the offering of God with contempt. They're the ones who bring this most holy and religious object to the battlefield where the Israelites are fighting. Whenever the Ark of the Covenant gets there, how does Israel feel about it? Oh, they're excited. And they're so excited that they let out this great shout. And the Bible says that the shout was so great that the earth resounded. How did the Philistines feel about it? They were scared to death. They were frightened. They knew what God had done to the Egyptians when the Egyptians stood opposed to the Israelites. And they were wondering, is God going to do that to us? They were scared to death, but they were also determined to overcome Israel and to overcome Israel's God. Israel just knows they're going to win now. We fixed our problem. We have the Ark of the Covenant. We can't possibly be defeated. And so they're excited. They're already celebrating a great victory and the Philistines are shaking in their boots. Well, you go to 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 10 and what happens? What happens is not what anybody expected. So the Philistines fought and what? Israel was defeated. How great was their defeat? Well, their defeat was so great that instead of reconvening like they did earlier in the chapter, each man has to flee to his own home. Their defeat is so great that this time the death toll is not just 4,000, but times that many times over, it's 30,000 Israelite soldiers. Their defeat is so great that the Ark of the Covenant is captured and taken by the Philistines, which dominates the next few chapters in the book of 1 Samuel. And their defeat is so great that even the two who were just carrying the Ark, who weren't even involved in the battle, were killed in the battle. The two sinful sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. The Israelites not only placed their trust in themselves, they also placed their trust in religion. This religious object that came in their midst. And as a result, again, their trust was not only misplaced, but their trust resulted in their defeat. But once again, when we look at our lives, we do the same thing, don't we? When our enemies rise up against us and the battle rages around us, oftentimes the temptation is to place our trust in religion. Can I show you what that looks like? Can I show you how I've seen that in people's lives? We see the enemy start to rise up. And the battle starts. The battle rages on and it causes a lot of pain. It causes a lot of difficulty in our lives. And as we've been talking about, our first instinct is to see, what can I do about this? We place our trust in ourselves and we very quickly find out that that's not going to work. So where do we turn next? Well, we turn to religion. We invite the ark of God as a second priority to step out onto the battlefield and we start doing some really religious stuff. We might start going to church more. We might start reading our Bibles more. We might start praying more regularly. But it's not because we love God. It's not because we want to deepen or develop a relationship with God. It's not because we want to submit ourselves to God or we want to surrender everything to the Lordship of Jesus. It's because we want to use God. We want to manipulate God. 
We want to twist God's arm into giving us what we want and doing what we want Him to do. We do really religious stuff, but it's not because we're seeking relationship with God, but it's because we want God to give us victory in the battle that we're fighting. You know, since I'm coming to church more, God just has to heal me of this disease that I have. Since I'm praying more regularly and I'm reading my Bible every day, God has to fix my broken marriage. Since I'm doing all of this religious stuff and I've really stepped it up lately, God has to give me victory in this battle that I'm fighting. I think oftentimes we treat God like a vending machine. You're not going to go up to a vending machine if you're not hungry or thirsty. But then when you get a little bit hungry or a little bit thirsty and you're not going to be able to make it back to the house, you walk up to the vending machine, you put your money in, you pick out what you want, and you get exactly what you want. And when battles rage around us, we expect God to be that way. If everything's going well, I don't really need Him. But whenever I need something, I'll put my money in, I'll pick out what I want, He'll give me what I want, then we can go our separate directions. We treat God like a waiter at a restaurant. I don't know about you, but I don't want a waiter hovering around my table if my glass is full of sweet tea. But as soon as my glass is empty, that waiter better be there within the matter of a few seconds or I'm going to get mad, I'm going to complain, and his tip is not going to be as high. We treat God like a landlord. As a renter, you probably don't call your landlord on the weekend just for kicks and giggles, just to shoot the breeze. As a renter, you call your landlord when things are broken, when things need to be fixed. And we treat God that way. God, I'm fighting this battle in my life. This enemy has risen up against me, and I can't do it by myself, so I'm going to do some really religious things just so you'll help me. I'm going to do some really religious things just so you'll give me what I want. I'm going to call the ark of God out onto the battlefield as a second priority. When you place your trust in religion, it might look good on the outside, but don't be surprised when you're defeated. You might do a lot of good things, and it might look really good to those who can see your life, and you might even feel really good about it, but if you're just placing your trust in religion, and you're using religion to try to get what you want out of God, don't be surprised when you fall flat on your face. You experience a defeat that's even worse than the first one. We can't control what battles surface in our lives and what our enemies choose to do, but we can choose how we respond to it. We can choose where we place our trust, and I would suggest that oftentimes our trust is misplaced. We place our trust in ourselves, we place our trust in religion, and we wonder why we end up being overcome we wonder why we end up being defeated. It's because of a misplaced trust. Well, if those two things are the wrong answers, what's the right answer? When our enemies rise up against us and the battle rages around us, where should we place our trust? You know the answer, don't you? I'm not placing my trust in myself. I'm not placing my trust in religion. When the battle rages, I'm placing my trust in God. And that's what the Israelites should have done in 1 Samuel chapter 4. Instead of looking to themselves, instead of looking to a religious object, they should have looked towards and placed their trust in their holy, loving, all-powerful God. But they didn't.
If you flip over just a few chapters to 1 Samuel chapter 7, in verse number 3, Samuel addresses the Israelites for the first time since this event happens in chapter 4. And I want you to notice what he says. It said, Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve Him only and He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistine. See, that's what they should have done. That's where they should have placed their faith in chapter 4. That's what Samuel is telling them. And so he tells them, you want to be victorious? When your enemies rise up, do you want to be victorious when the battle rages around you? You have to realize that you've left God. You have to realize that God is in your rearview mirror. So if you'll return to Him with all of your heart, and if you'll put away these idols that you've been serving above Him, if you'll direct your heart directly to the Lord, and you will serve Him and Him alone, listen to what He'll do. He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines, and He will give you victory over your enemy. Well, you continue reading in 1 Samuel 7, and the people responded positively to Samuel's message. They put their trust in the Lord. Not themselves, not religion, but they put their trust in the Lord. And look what, look what happens just a few verses later, verse 10, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. How do you think Israel felt about that? Well, looking back on what happened just a few months ago in 1 Samuel chapter 4, they probably didn't feel too good about it. They were defeated not once but twice, but this time it's different. Because they had placed their trust in the Lord, the Lord acted on their behalf. Notice the three words that changed the whole thing. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion and they were defeated before Israel. Like we've been saying, we have battles that we fight. We have enemies that rise up that we have no control over. But we do have control over how we respond. The question is, where are we going to place our trust? Don't place your trust in yourself. You can't do it alone. Don't place your trust in religion. Just doing religious stuff to try to twist God's arm. Instead of those two things, place your trust in God. Fall in love with God. Develop and deepen an intimate relationship with God. Submit yourself to His holiness. Surrender everything that you have to His sovereignty. Heed the words of Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 3, it might be the case that in your life you've left the Lord in the rearview mirror. It might be the case that you've left the Lord and you're not living for the Lord. Here's what Samuel tells you to do. Return to Him. Come back to Him. Not just with some of your heart, but with all of your heart. Get rid of those idols in your life. Those things that you are continually placing in priority above God. It's time to put those things aside. Direct your heart directly to the Lord. Serve God and serve God only. Realize who He is. God is not just useful to us. God is worthy. He is deserving of our trust. He is holy. He is loving. He is sovereign. He's the one who's in control. He's the one who's all-powerful. So when your enemies rise up and the battle rages, place your trust in Him. I don't want to make empty promises to you this morning. When you place your trust in God, we're not saying that the pain's going to go away. 
When you place your trust in God, we're not saying that the battle's going to stop and everything's going to be easy and comfortable and smooth sailing from here on out. It's not the case. But what is the case when you place your trust in God? Even in the most difficult of situations, it gives you a hand to hold, gives you a foundation to stand on top of, it puts the Creator in your corner, and it gives you an eternity to look forward to. So place your trust in God, and it will never be misplaced. Place your trust in God, and you will not be defeated. But instead, you'll experience the greatest victory that's ever been offered to mankind. And that is the salvation that is possible through Christ. You can do it this morning. You can do it right now. Place your trust in God as together we stand and sing. to give up, I'd be a fool. You are my all.